Hey, thanks for joining us here at Broad River Church. For video messages and content, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow our Facebook page. Find us at broadriver.church. This is a great way to stay connected throughout your week, no matter where you are. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Kevin Mullins, for this week's message. grateful to be here this morning. There you go. Uh, welcome to Broad River Church. I want to invite you uh, to scripture this morning. Um, so we're going to start in the book of 2 Kings. We're going to be in chapter 2, starting in verse 15. Um, it's going to be on page 308 in the blue Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, or if you're sitting in the front row, they're underneath your seats. You can also find it on your device or follow along on the screens. We're going to be there um, reading this story in just a few minutes. Uh, but before we jump in, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Mike McAvee. My wife, Lauren, and I get the honor of serving here as student pastors, and we love our students. Shout out to all the students in the house. Yeah, we are a church that believes in the next generation. We believe that God is on the move in this generation and that he is changing them some things in our uh, city through our students. And if we haven't met yet, I look forward to meeting you after the gathering. You already heard about the Connect card from Pastor Kevin, but I want to let you know that there's a paper version and there's an electronic version. Broadway Church is a place a lot of people have been helped and connected in a deeper way to their faith in Christ. And so we would love to hear about you and we would love for you to share your story with us so that we can get to know you more. If you want to do that, you can also text welcome to 860-362-3983. Texting is probably the simplest way to connect today, especially if you're joining us online in our digital experience. And it's fine to have your device out today. If you are here in person, just text welcome to 860-362-3983. And I see a bunch of new faces here this morning. Broad River Church, why don't we just welcome all of our guests and that's why everyone joining us online. We're so grateful that you're here. We're in a series called Strange Scripture. We're looking at puzzling parts of the Bible and asking what on earth is going on here. Pastor Kevin kicked us off last week by preaching out of the book of Genesis about this guy named Jacob and how God gives us a new name and how he shows up in unexpected ways. And the whole idea of this series is to take a, a look into a few stories in the Bible that are just weird and easily misinterpreted and are just plain strange. They make us think like, what's really going on here? And the Bible isn't always easy to understand. But along the way, we'll see that even the strange scripture in the Bible reveals God's nature to us and can encourage and strengthen our faith. Pastor Kevin said last week that a lot of people have this expectation that when they read the Bible, it's gonna be boring or dry, or maybe it's just like a self-help novel or it's disconnected from the reality that we live in today. But I believe if you really listen to the scriptures, there's no telling what you might hear. And some of the scripture is just plain strange. 
I want to read to you a story this morning that to me is one of the strangest stories in the Bible. It's a long story, so I just want you to lean in with me here. And as I read it, I want you to really think about what's going on. 2 Kings chapter 2, starting in verse 15, says, Now when the sons of the prophet who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, Behold, now there are with your servants 50 strong men. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, you shall not send. But when they urged him until he was ashamed, he said, send. They sent therefore 50 men and for three days they sought him but did not find him. And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho and he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke, home stretch. He went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. From there, he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there, he returned to Samaria. Lord Jesus, I thank you that your presence is just overflowing in this place right now. And I thank you, Lord, that even strange scripture reveals your nature. I know that you're the only one who can speak to us all exactly what we need to hear. So Lord, I just ask that your glory would fill this temple. Your power would overflow in this place and you would speak to us today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Imagine with me for a minute that you woke up this morning that maybe you went on your news app or you turned on your TV, kind of pulled it up on your phone, and you saw this headline, bald-headed man unleashes bears, mauls 42 boys. What? Are you serious? This is the headline that we hear? I don't know about you, but if I saw this, there would be a lot of things that would be going through my head. But the first one is I would be completely baffled. Imagine this. Bald-headed man unleashes bears, mauls 42 boys. And I don't know about y'all, but when I see something like this that confuses or baffles me, I usually respond in a few different ways. The first way is anger. So you start to see like the lines on my forehead. I'll start to ask these questions like, how could this happen? Who's responsible? What's being done about it? My sense of justice will come out. My second response to this is usually something along the lines of denial or I'll make fun of it. I'll kind of like make light of the situation by trying to find a way to rationalize or justify it. This is a psychological term for a defense mechanism. What I'll do is I'll lighten the reality by making fun of it or denying it. Justification and rationalization. And the third way I respond is usually hardcore investigation. 
And my wife, Lauren, knows all about this one. You can ask her about it. So I have questions and I need answers. So I will research and study and interrogate and ask questions until I think that I can grasp what happened, until I think I understand. Usually when I see something that I don't understand, I respond in a mixture of all three of these in different degrees, but they are all an attempt to understand a situation that seems unfathomable, but they're all just a means to control, to regain control of the reality that I don't understand. And they're not always bad things, but often this is the way we respond when we don't understand why something has happened. And I wonder if this has ever happened to you before. I wonder if you've ever experienced this, if you're being honest. I wonder if you've ever gotten angry and frustrated and then justified or made fun of something or rationalized something because you made a response to a supernatural or spiritual event. But what if you don't believe in the supernatural? And I get it, for someone who doesn't believe that God is in control, that he created the universe, or they don't believe in the supernatural, this story would be extremely even disturbing or offensive. Boys are getting killed by bears. Really, God, that's what's going on here? And this is what happens a lot when we hear a non-believer make fun of a story in the Bible. They don't understand it, so confusion and frustration turns into outrage and mockery. And by the way, this story is one that is made fun of a lot by non-believers. I believe it's because they don't believe in the supernatural. And hey, if that's you this morning, if you're just here checking things out or you don't really know where you stand with God or with the whole Jesus thing, that's awesome because we are, we are here for you. This is a place that you, be, you can belong before you believe. God is not afraid of you questioning the Bible. All right? So it's okay to question things. It's okay to have doubts. This is a place where you can belong before you believe. But, but there's one thing that doesn't separate us is that we all respond the same way when we don't understand something. We seek to regain control. We live in a supernatural, spiritual world. There is this amazing spiritual being called God. He created all the universe, including the world, including the elements and the stars. He created all of it, including the animals. And yes, that means the bears. <laughs> he created the bears. And he is in control of the bears. So we need to see that these strange scriptures have something deeper in them, that they display the nature of God and the truth that he really wants us to know. So this morning, I want to do some investigation work into this strange scripture, and I want to see what God wants us to wrestle with, because there's some truth in this story that I think God wants to reveal. The header of this strange story is, Elisha succeeds Elijah. Just some background. Elijah is a major prophet of God. If you read the scripture, he's like the OG triple-triple prophet, all right? He's the real deal. He's the man. And Elisha is his second in command. It's his apprentice, his protege. And this story picks up right after Elijah is taken up into heaven. And Elisha is given a double portion of Elijah's spirit. You should definitely read the Bible sometime. It's pretty awesome. So now Elisha is elevated to the status of like top dog prophet in the land. He's not the OG. He's the new kid on the block, but he's still a big deal. And God calls him 
to go to Jericho and then to Bethel. And what he's doing when God calls him is he's trying to come against the idol worship that is going on in the city. People are constructing temples and they're worshiping false idols like these calves and all these different false idols. So on his journey to Jericho and Bethel, he encounters a few different obstacles. And again, I think God wants us to see that there's three truths in this story, in this strange scripture that reveals God's nature. And the first one is that God provides for his people. God provides for his people. We get to Jericho and the men of the village have a serious issue going on. The water in Jericho is cursed. Verse 19 says, now the men of the city said to Elisha, behold, the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. The water in Jericho was cursed from this time when Israel entered into the promised land and they overtook Jericho. At the time, there was this other kind of big dog prophet of, the, of God. His name was Joshua. He was second in, to, in command to Moses. When Moses died, Joshua was elevated to the leader of Israel. They entered into the promised land and when they entered in, they overtook Jericho. And at the time, they were worshiping false idols in Jericho. So Joshua cursed the land and God made the water unfruitful. God calls Elisha in this story to Jericho so that he can provide for his people. See, Joshua cursed the land originally and now God sends a new prophet to the town. Elisha becomes the second Joshua. He becomes the better Joshua. Verse 20 says, Bring me a new bowl. So this is Elisha speaking to the people in Jericho. He said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So when the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke, Focus in on this according to the word that Elisha spoke. Listen, when God speaks a word, it changes things. And as I was preparing for this message, I felt the Lord speak a word to me. The word to me that he wanted me to share with you is, I have felt God say, I am healing the land. God is healing the land. The land in Jericho had been unfruitful. The scripture says that there was difficulty conceiving children, producing crops, providing a safe place for its people. People couldn't drink the water because it would cause death. Jericho was an environmental disaster. It wasn't too different from the reality that we live in right now. Think about it. There was pollution in the water. There was sickness and disease in the land, but God heals the land, and God is still healing the land. What does God do? God tells Elisha to call for a bowl of salt. He uses a new bowl to signify a vessel that has a specific purpose. It was never used before. This bowl was made specifically to fulfill the purpose that God had in mind, and he fills the bowl with salt. Now, there's nothing magical about the salt. All right, it wasn't like Elisha just threw the salt in the water like we would throw some salt on some bland chicken and then all of a sudden everything is okay and life tastes good. No, Elijah did not actually heal the water. The salt didn't heal the water. No, God healed the water. 
I want you to see this. God healed the water. God uses the salt of the earth and a chosen vessel to remove the curse from the land. I wonder if God is saying to someone this morning that he will use you, salt of the earth, and a chosen vessel to remove generational curses in your family. Did you know that you have authority from God to break chains in your family line? This is what the scripture is revealing, that maybe you would be the first person in your family to overcome that generational sin. And by doing so, you would set a new course for your son or daughter. That they wouldn't be bound to the same chains that you would be. Maybe you would be poured out into the water and the water would be cleansed. God provides for his people by removing the curse from the land so that new crops and new fruit and new life can be established there. I wonder if he's doing that this morning. He is healing the land. And I also wonder if God would choose you to be a vessel to be poured out on this city. This is what God does. He uses a new bowl and he spreads it out into the water and the water is healed and the land is healed. I wonder if we would be chosen vessels poured out on Norwalk. This is what we did this week during Love Week. We were chosen vessels poured out on our city. This wasn't a random act of kindness. It was an intentional display of God's love for his people. I want you to get this. God is healing our land. He is on a mission to heal the land. And look, he spoke the word first. And when he speaks the word, things change. People change. Lives are changed. People are set free. Diseases are healed. Sicknesses bow. God provides for his people because we know that he heals the land. The second point is that God protects what he sends. If you're taking notes, you should write this down. God protects what he sends. Verse 23, he went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord, and two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. This is the scandalous part. Let's not look past some of the implications of this story. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. 42 boys died by two bears. I want you to let that sink in for a little bit. But if you're anything like me, I have some serious questions about this scripture. The first one is, how come they didn't run? Like you would think that if you saw two bears coming out of the woods after you, you would book it for safety. So I'm convinced that there had to be at least 200 boys in the road coming against Elisha in order for 42 of them to be mauled by two bears. Think about it for a second. And also, what are these boys doing ganged up in the streets? 
If they're a 12-year-old boy, you would think that they wouldn't have the freedom to roam the city. And then I did some digging and I, I read that at this, at this time in their life, at 12 years old in this society, they would have actually been treated much more like an adult than we know today a 12-year-old boy is treated. They would have already been apprenticing in their trade. They would have been making money. They would have been able to provide for their family. They would have had to put food on the table at 12 years old. So they obviously had some freedoms that a 12-year-old boy is not uh, able to have in the society that we live in today. My last question is, look at what, I mean, like I was thinking to myself, like look at what they were saying. I mean, come on, they called him a baldy. They called him a baldy. If you're only laughing, I don't know what's up. They called him a baldy. And look, side note, I can tell that I'm starting to thin out in some areas. <laughs> yeah, all right. I, I put it out there, all right? Let me just get real for a second. I know I'm thinning out in some areas, but when someone says something to me about it, I get real sour, y'all. <laughs> I do. So I, I can kind of empathize with Elisha. I can imagine how he felt. These boys were coming at him. They were mocking him. They called him a baldy. They mock his role as a prophet. They mock his standing before God. They say, go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. It almost has that certain ring that a crowd gets when they're chanting something at like a baseball game. Go up. Go up. And in Hebrew, go up is the same exact word used to describe Elijah ascending into heaven. They're saying, why don't you just disappear like the other prophet? They're not just saying get lost. It's almost like they're saying, why don't you just die already? They pose a serious physical threat to Elisha. It's not just that they're blocking the road to Bethel to keep God's prophet from entering the city. No, there's hundreds of them stacked up coming against Elijah to defend their golden calf, their temple, their false gods. Listen, they wanted that smoke. They really did. They wanted. They were coming against him. These boys pose a serious threat. I want you to see this. So he turns to them. He curses them, and they get mauled by, 40, by, by two bears. 42 of them get mauled by two bears. He curses the boys, and God pours out his wrath on the boys. But what I think this scripture is showing is that God is always going to protect what he sends. He will always protect those who are on mission with him. And I know this is difficult. Boys got killed by bears. But listen, God sent Elisha. And God protects what he sends. And you will face opposition when you're on mission with God. Did you guys know that you're on mission with God? Yes, everyone in this room is on mission with God. God doesn't have a plan B for his mission. We are his plan A. We are the local church, and the local church is the hope of the world. God doesn't have like a second choice in this. And last week, Pastor Kevin talked about this quote from Henry Now, and I just love this quote. I thought it was so relevant still today. He talks about how God treats us like communion bread. It says he chooses us, he blesses us, he breaks us, and he sends us. I want to focus on the he sends us. Listen, church, God is always going to protect what he sends. This strange scripture 
reveals God's nature, that you will face obstacles when you're on mission with God, but no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And the battle belongs to the Lord. So you don't have to work really hard to protect yourself. If you know that you're on a mission with God, you know that opposition will come your way, but God will protect you. Amen. He will. This is a promise that he makes for us. We can trust that when the Lord sends you, he will protect you by reading this strange scripture. His arms will cover you as you go. But the last point is that God's mission will prevail. I think this is important that we read this last verse. It seems insignificant, but I feel like it's very significant. Verse 25 says, from there he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. Through all the obstacles, through the boys and the bears, Elisha reaches his destination. He prevails in his mission with God. God sees him through and makes sure that he gets to where God has called him to go. And this morning, I want you to hear that God will make sure that he gets to where God has called you to go. So don't give up. Keep going. He always finishes what he starts. He started a good work in you, and he will see it through. I promise you that. He always finishes what he starts. So no matter what is in your path, no matter what opposition comes against you, no matter who laughs at you or who mocks you or who makes fun of you, God's plan will prevail in your life because God is with you. He doesn't just send you out. No, he comes alongside you. He's always with us. His plan will prevail. So if your peers doubt you, don't despair. If a crowd mocks you, don't be afraid. And if a village wants a miracle, don't doubt God's power. We still believe in miracles. I declare it this morning that we will see miracles. We will see signs and wonders. God still performs miracles. And if a stranger asks you a question about Jesus, don't hesitate to give them an answer. Speak life to them. Speak truth to them. Show them God's love. And remember that God is with you on this mission. He provides for his people. He protects what he sends. And God's mission will prevail. How do we know this? We know this because he sent Jesus on a mission for us. He sent Jesus on a mission for us. He sent Jesus to rescue us. He made a way. He paved the path for us. The Bible says that we were separated from God. We were dead in our sins. We were lost. We were living under the curse, and God sent Jesus. We were just like these boys. We were angry. We were mocking. Some of us worshiped false, worshiped false idols. Listen, we deserve God's wrath, and Jesus came, and he stood in the place for us so that we would never have to experience God's wrath. He went on a, mess, a rescue mission for us. Elisha was scorned and mocked by these boys. He was ridiculed. They came against him. They said, go up, go up. What did he do? He turned and he cursed the boys and God's wrath was poured out on them. Jesus was mocked. He was scorned. He was beaten. He was made fun of. He was spit on. Those boys screamed out, go up, go up. He didn't look back and curse us. No, what did he do? He looked at us. 
He said, you're worth it. And then he went up. He went up on the cross and he died for us. He poured out his blood for us. He bore the curse for us. Listen, Jesus is the better Elisha. So how do we know God provides for his people? Because Jesus poured himself out. He became the vessel. He poured out his blood for us. So no more bowls of salt. No, Jesus became the offering. He is the healer of the land. Jesus stood in a place for us so that we wouldn't have to experience God's wrath. I know I'm so grateful that he stood in the place for me because there are some things that I've done in my past that if he hadn't stood in that place for me, I don't know where I would be. I wonder if he's telling someone in this room right now that he is here to rescue you, that he doesn't look on your past, that he doesn't see that sin that you did, no, but that he came for you, that he went up. He didn't curse you. No, he went up. He went up on the cross, and now you have full access to the Father. And how do we know God's mission will prevail? Because Jesus didn't stay dead. This is the good news. This is the gospel. We know God prevails because Jesus overcame death. He was resurrected on the third day. And because he overcame, because he prevailed, we have new life in him. We become overcomers. We have resurrection power, church not because of anything that we did, but because of what Jesus did for us. I want you to hear me this morning when I say that this strange scripture in the Old Testament reveals a lot to us about God's nature. But there is one truth that remains in all the scriptures, and it's that it all points to Jesus. It all points to him. Everything points to Jesus. God provides, God protects, and God's mission will prevail. We know this because he sent Jesus, and Jesus is the better Elisha. Let's pray, church. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you that you came on a rescue mission for us. We thank you that you took the place for us, Lord, that we deserved the wrath of God, but that you took that on for us so that we would never have to, that we could have access to what we didn't have access to before. And Lord, we thank you that you provide. We thank you that you're healing the land even right now, that there are diseases and sicknesses that are being healed right now. Lord, we thank you that you're healing our land, that you're sending a fresh wind to our land. You're healing the water, Lord. We thank you that you protect what you send. Thank you that you sent us, Lord, that you saw past all of our doubts and all of our iniquities and all of our shortcomings, and you still chose us. And you sent us on mission with you, and we thank you that you prevailed because you raised Jesus on the third day. We thank you that no matter what opposition that we come against, Lord, that we will make it to our destination because you started it and you're going to finish it. I thank you for your presence in this place this morning. And I just want to talk to someone in this room today who's here right now and maybe they've been going through some really difficult times and you would say that you've been trying to fill this this void inside of you, this hole inside of you with the things of this world, but nothing is working. 
I wonder if that's you this morning, if you would say that you need a fresh start because what you've been doing hasn't been working. I'm here this morning to tell you that Jesus can give you a fresh start. He can change everything. He can cleanse you, he can make you new, he can forgive you of your past. He can make you a new creation. He can give you a new life. I'm gonna pray this prayer in a second and I just ask that if that's you and you wanna receive Jesus in your heart this morning and have a fresh start, that you would just raise your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that your presence is in this place. church, we all always pray together. So if that's you this morning, you're praying this prayer for the first time, just pray it in your heart, but you can repeat the words after me. Church, just join with me when I say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for coming for me. I thank you for dying for me. I thank you for your resurrection and the new life I have in you just ask that you would take away my sins, Lord. Forgive me. Make me new. And I'll do my best to follow you. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us here at Broad River Church. Our heart is that you would come to know God find freedom, discover your purpose so that you can make a difference. If you'd like to take a next step in your journey following Jesus, just visit broadriver.church slash next steps. We'll see you next time.